Well, hello, everybody. This is Dr. Kevin Connors for another episode of our Connors Clinic podcast. Today, we have a great um, guest on. You're going to hear most mainly from him. This is Jason Prawl. He is a health educator. He's a practitioner and author. New book coming out very soon, right, Jason? Yeah, that's the, that's the hope anyway. Yeah. <laughs> speaker and a filmmaker and that's really what we're going to talk about a lot of some of your work with filmmaking your 2018 um uh kind of documentary right the yeah, research that you did with that. Uh, the human longevity project So Jason, I want to jump right into this and talk about um, what your latest work is. Um, uh, you got some new things coming up. Why don't you talk about that? Yeah. So um, the, the the thing that's most pressing is um, a summit that I'm, I'm hosting called Awaken the Healer Within, uh, which is going to be launching in October of this year. Uh -huh. And this is really getting to the deeper aspects of, of disease. Where does it come from? Where, where does it really start? And, and conversely, where does health come from, right? And that's really, I think, a deep question that is worth exploring. And, and then how do we ignite that sort of healing response within the body, right? I mean, very much pertains to cancer, right? We, we get into these, these um, imbalanced states in the body. And yet, and yet there's still something within us that we can flip. There's something inside us that still holds the magic to healing, right? It's that same vital force that when you cut your finger, somehow has the capacity to heal without you really doing anything other than setting up the right conditions, right? If you keep um, pestering it and badgering it, then it's not going to heal, right? But if you just kind of let the body do its thing, it's, it's natural wisdom, then it, it somehow does it on its own. And so that it's, it's really about getting to the core of that um, when it comes to any chronic disease that we're dealing with. So that, that's the summit that's in October. And then um, it's kind of a longer term project. I'm working on a film series that is exploring ancient and indigenous healing methods from around the world. So we went into uh, the Himalayas, worked with some Buddhist and bone healers up in the high up in the mountains. We went to India to work with some Ayurvedic masters there, went into Peru to work with some shamans uh, in, in the mountain regions. Um, and we have plans to go to uh, New Zealand to work with the Maori uh, as well. So, so there's a lot of cool things that I'd like to explore to really go beyond, I think, the, the, the common threads that we like to talk about and, and, and see if there's uh, some, some underpinnings that we can bring forth into our modern world. Now you, I have to pull this up because you shared something, a quote on your site that I thought was um, um, very intuitive. You said, uh, it's more difficult to be healthy in the United States because you have to do all the work on your own. We've gone astray as a culture because we've lost our sense of community and societal values due to technology. I, I love that. I want you to kind of expound on that, if you will. Yeah, I mean, look, this actually goes back to the Human Longevity Project, the film series that we did where we went around the world to Ikaria, Greece, and Sardinia, Italy, and, and Okinawa, and, and Costa Rica. And, and these are known as blue zones. And the reason that we went there was because this is where a lot of people make it to 100 years old. It's, it's um, an inordinate number that, that make it to 100 in, in a relatively healthy way. And, and when I went and visited these people, what I noticed, even today, 
was that they lived in these small communal village type settings. And sure, there's some modern technology, of course, but, but as I talked to them and I, and, I, and I learned about their past and what life was like growing up in 1940 Ikaria, Greece, you know, in this remote island or in the mountains in Sardinia in 1952, there was no electricity. There was none of the modern conveniences that we have. Life wasn't so easy in that regard. And so they relied on each other that it was imperative that they that they supported one another that they had connection you couldn't not i mean right now if i ask people how, do you know your neighbors names do you know their kids names do you know what they do for a living right we, we 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 don't really for the most part especially in the in the sort of bigger cities and in the suburbs and so we've lost connection with the people that are in our communal areas. We don't need them, so to speak, or at least we think we don't. We can do so much on our own, right? We have computers and technology. I can sit in my house, in my office right now on a, a podcast and, and sneakily order some food on my phone and have it delivered to me. And by the time we're done with this, have something at my door waiting for me, hot, ready to go so I can eat it, right? We have such amazing technology that we can fly food around the world. We don't have to work so hard to, to meet our basic needs. And because of that, we've, we've lost touch with some of these things that are actually the threads of what keep us healthy. And we certainly don't have any community interdependence right. anymore, except we freak out if the internet goes down. <laughs> we don't have those relational interdependence. You know, we right. might be dependent upon a technology, but dependent upon our neighbors, uh, and looked uh, for our neighbors to, I mean, even when I was growing up, I mean, we ran the neighborhood and every, all of our neighbors from a six block area knew, oh, there's the Connors kids. And they kind of looked out for us when we were running around in that area. So there was, even at that time, more of a community inter interdependence that today is just completely lost. Um, that's very interesting. And it's important, right? Like there's a, there's a real actual sense of safety uh, emotionally that is actually encoded in our body, right? And this is actually something that we develop as, as infants, right? There's, there's a dependence on our caregivers. And so this is actually a developmental process. If we look at developmental psychology, this act of, of encoding this, this level of safety and support that I can trust, that I can rely on somebody to be there if I need them, is is actually something that we're missing. A lot of us miss it, uh, or we don't get we don't get it consistently as children. And so this actually we carry with us. It's a sort of trauma or conditioned actually that 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 we carry with us. And this actually leads to a um, a strategy that we rely on ourselves. And we can actually become really really self reliant in that sense. But inside at the nervous system level, fundamentally in our entire system, there's a sense of Oh, my God, this the ship's about to fall, I better keep this whole thing together. And so that's a really interesting phenomenon when you look at the West that we are trying so hard to keep everything together. Right. And, and we don't have the structures around us that actually can provide that level of support and safety should something fall apart in my life. Should I lose my job? Should, for whatever reason, I need an amazing and, and a huge expense on my house that I need to repair. And those These things are, are inevitable. Of, right. It's going to happen. Exactly. Exactly. Right. And of course we have insurance companies and we have credit cards and we have these, these other things in our sort of 
modern society that we rely upon if if tragedy happens, if a flood or hurricane rips through my town and all this stuff happens, sure, we've got these mechanisms. But in these villages, in, it, when I was talking to these people, and somebody needed something on their house uh, reconstructed, the village, the people around would get together, whether it would be pool money together or actual labor and help them fix or repair or build something that they needed. They actually that's a sense of safety built into the community. Now, the reason they did that wasn't because they were better people than us. It's just that they realized, given their the harshness of the reality that they were living in, that was what was required for them all to 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 survive to, to sure. and to hopefully thrive. And from a biblical perspective, that is what we're supposed to do as a New Testament church. We're supposed to be the providers of welfare for our community. We're supposed to provide for the widows and the children and the orphans. Well, now we allow the state to do that. And we see what a horrific job they do in doing that. They might provide some money, but it's there's there's no nurture there. So and we've lost that culture. Maybe as you think about it, if you think of in the United States, do you see that anywhere? Maybe like in a Mennonite community or a Amish community where there's that close-knit uh, religious spiritual ties, um, we might have the best flavor of that uh, in an example. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's not it's, it's not prevalent. That's exactly uh, right. I think your your examples are, are dead on. And in fact, in the Blue Zone work that National Geographic did a while back, they they kind of lumped in Loma Linda, California, as a quote unquote Blue Zone, even though it's not really statistically a Blue Zone. But they they wanted to include something in the U.S. to sell more of their publications. Sure. But when we look at that community, and I visited that, it's the same thing because of the Seventh Day Adventists. There's a right. strong communal connection that that is actually held together by values. Right, and so this is what's um, really important about about any of the religions is that fundamentally there are values that underlie them, right? And 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 you can choose a handful of them. I mean, I've got some Mormon friends. That is a tight community, sure. right? So it's really interesting when you look at these at these societal structures and the way that we organize them, how that provides a level of safety, a level of 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 support, a level of connection, and ultimately a level of health at the at the fundamental level, at the nervous system level, right? And, and I think one of the things that's so easy to forget is that not only can I rely on other people for support, but when I provide support, there's something that that does to me that is very, very good, right? There's actually medicine when I help others, right? And so if we're relying on the state and the bureaucracies and, and all these sort of third parties that, uh, that don't really have a human face to them, then we're actually losing on losing out on that ability to help others and to receive the help. So there's medicine in both, and so I think it's it's a it's a thing that I I do actually see a resurgence in this. And and look, charity is great when we give money away. That's fantastic. There's there's medicine in that too. But I think there's something deeper that that comes into play when I can actually uh, help somebody directly, especially if I know them if they are in my community. Yeah, and I see that as a. Oh, you talk about the, the technology that has kind of driven us away. I mean, people think that they have 5,000 friends because they're Facebook friends, but um, they really don't know anything about that person. And we become such a narcissistic culture. I heard a statistic that uh, like 10 years ago, seven 
0.5% of the Americans would be considered narcissistic, and now it's upwards close to 30%. And social media uh, was to blame in the article that I read uh, from a psychologist. That doesn't surprise me one bit. And I think technology, it's easy to blame technology for all of our problems. I think, and there's a lot to blame. Um, sure. I think where we have an opportunity is to to flip technology on its head and start to make it work for us. I have a friend that that organizes um, a charity that that is a, they build houses in Mexico and and in large part they rely on technology to get the people together to go build houses. Sure. Now these are the things we can actually if we just think a little bit differently about technology. How can I use technology to bring people together? from my local area into a communal dining experience that we can all share. There's so many ways that we can flip this on its head instead of having technology deliver food to my door where I eat it by myself and I don't have to go out and talk to anybody or touch anything or do anything. Let's flip that, right? So there's, there's, we just need to get creative with technology. Technology can be a, a beautiful, beautiful tool for us to, to start to bring some of, back this, some of this back into our lives. Yeah. Well, I love that. That's not at all what we were going to talk about. <laughs> but that is key. I mean, you talk about healing. I, I, I remember, I think I posted on a blog post a few years ago, a story I heard of this, uh, this elderly gentleman that was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer and given three months to live. And he decided that he was going to go back. He was Italian or Greek, I think it was. And he decided to go back to his home Greek island to live out the last few months of his life, moved back there. And it was just that, it was this wonderful cultural thing where all the people on the island grew different things. Everybody had a garden yep. and then they would come together like a farmer's market, but they would just trade things and they would all take care of one another. Well, according to my understanding, he's still alive today. And, and he lived, and the article was written, I think he had lived years at that point never did any treatment whatsoever uh, and just having that community involvement in caring for him and nurturing for him and just feeling that connection was really his medicine uh, and we just can't discount that and I think so are these are the things that are you're getting into in the awakened uh, healer within the yeah. series yeah, definitely. We're, we're, we're talking about a lot of different things, but, but some of these aspects, you know, that, that are related to what we might call trauma, because there's certainly trauma, right? And, and, and we know if we look at Chinese medicine, we look at Ayurveda, we talk about the lungs, that's where we store grief and sadness, right? And, and the livers where, where a lot of uh, anger and frustration and resentment is held, right? So these are real things, right? How the psychology, how the mindset, how the emotions, how the beliefs affect our physical biology is very, very real. And for anybody that, that is doubting that, um, I want you to imagine you, you yourself going up on stage and speaking, giving the commencement speech at, uh, at, at a college graduation, right? And you have to deliver this profound speech to thousands. What do you think is going to happen? You're going to get up there and you're going to start sweating. Your heart's going to start beating, right? You're probably going to lose your train of thought unless you're a trained speaker. This is, this is common, right? Public speaking is a very, very big fear for, for many of us. Now, why is that? It's not because we're going to die. Your body says you're going to die, right? Your body's starting to get into this sympathetic drive of, oh my God, we are in danger. Let's start ramping up all these things, get blood to the extremities so we can get the heck out of here. 
But reality is, is that there's something going on in that, that, that you're referencing back to childhood, back to your development, that says that if I screw up in front of this many people, they're not going to like me. They're going to shun me. I'm not welcome. I can't, we're not going to have connection, right? So I'm being judged. I'm being criticized. And none of us like being judged or criticized. But this is the internal subconscious dialogue that is instantly happening for many of us when, when something like, like that happens, right? So these are reference points that we go back that, that, are still ingrained in our system subconsciously that, that carry this uh, mechanism to start shifting our biology all over the place, right? And so these conditions that, that we are raised in, that we, that we learn to think and believe and feel, they are affecting us as adults. I don't care how old we are. And so, yeah, we get into a lot of this type of thing. How do we unwind that stuff? How do I develop and encode more safety into my body? How do I find those pieces and those parts that that were not met correctly as a child and how do i how do i actually integrate them so there's a lot of this kind of trauma work there's a lot of breaking down old conditioning old belief systems old belief structures and and when we do that we find that the nervous system starts to get more in balance the parasympathetic tone starts to increase right the vagus nerve starts to increase and the vagus nerve is important because it innervates every, uh, all of our internal organs, right? Your liver, your kidney, your, your uh, pancreas, your spleen, whole GI tract. So we really rely on the nervous system to be in, in a good balanced state so we can turn on the sympathetic and fight or flight, but it can also drop into this rest and digest and detoxification and heal mode, which is what we require. No matter what we're healing from, we require that sympathetic state to be active, right? To be turned on. That's where healing happens, right? And that's why almost all healing happens in during sleep, is because so much of our so much of us are in sympathetic drive when we're awake. So we get into a lot of this stuff. We get into um, you know uh, some fundamental things, you know, and digestion and how to improve uh, gut dysfunctions and um, how Ayurveda can show us some new uh, techniques and tools and, and things to uh, detoxify, to work with herbs. There's Chinese medicine and qigong. There's there's a lot that we that goes in, but it's it's kind of on the periphery, I, I'd say, than compared to most functional or integrative medicine type of discussions. Well, that's great. Well, when you're talking about sympathetic slash parasympathetic tone, the autonomic nervous system, you're speaking our language. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things we measure our, with our patients um, with biometrics. And it's you can see a person that looks calm as a cucumber on the outside, but their sympathetic parasympathetic imbalances. Totally is just way off balance. And and we as people have learned to kind of stuff our emotions. So we can't even tell when we're in sympathetic overtone. I I, I just want to pause you there. That is what you said is so important. This is the thing is that many of us walk through the day and we think we're calm. But if we measure like like you're talking about, we can see, oh, I'm not calm, but I'm so conditioned, I'm so normalized to this level of nervous system activity, that that's my calm set point. Right. <laughs> and so this is what we don't realize is that, oh, there's a whole nother level of calm. Oh, I didn't realize that. But what does it take for us to get there? That's yeah. the thing. And that's the trick. Because yes, there's EMFs, and there's, um, there's chemicals and metals and all these things going on physically and biologically in the system. 
And there's, there's other things that we can't see or taste or touch that are still there that are, that are unprocessed emotions that we're holding onto because either we didn't have the resource because we were five years old and our nervous system hadn't developed yet. Right? So we literally didn't have that. Um, and, and when we're young, the, by the way, what we rely on is our caregiver's nervous system to help us sort of process. And so we, we require, we rely on we, this, this co-regulation um, between our caregivers to help us process these things. I've got a two-year-old son and he absolutely flips out about nothing, loses his mind, right? And, and it's interesting because there's, there's a couple things I notice about that. One, he's actually moving these emotions through. So it's a really, really good thing. I don't want to have him suppress that. I don't want to teach him to not cry and not lose it. I want to actually provide a level of safety to say, yes, it's okay that you're losing your mind here over nothing. And here I am, I can help you with this process, right? right. On an actual nervous system level. But if I start going crazy on him, then he's going to learn very soon, this is not okay for me to process this emotion. It's not okay for me to express anger. It's not okay for me to express frustration and sadness and grief and all these different things. So we want to actually educate him. And this is a difficult task. I wouldn't say this is easy, but we want to help him understand, yes, it's okay that you have these emotions. Not only is it okay, here I am in support of you feeling this. Most of us weren't given that. And if we were, we weren't given it regularly. And so we learn, we develop these coping mechanisms, these strategies to bottle our emotions, to hold it in because it's not okay. And so we become very tough on the outside and we develop these armors and actually we develop a physical or a, an energetic armor. This is a very real thing. And, and as we go through life, that is protecting us. And what you see with a lot of these people, and I'm one of them, so I, I'm not projecting this outward necessarily, is that we develop this energetic armor. And the first thing that when, when we face a stressful situation for, for some of us, this isn't for everybody, but you'll see this outburst, this anger, this frustration, that's the first level of emotion that when you're starting to penetrate that armor a little bit, the anger and, the, and, the, and, the, and this rage starts to come out to, to protect. Right. And then what you find is that if you can actually learn to work with the rage and you go, oh, that's anger, that's that's frustration, that's rage. And you can actually start to process that instead of uh, project it outward without actually feeling it. If you can actually process that. What you find underneath is sadness, grief, disappointment, these more tender emotions. So this is what's interesting is that we have all these things within us. And, and in order to to process this backlog of emotions, we've got to feel them. We've got to go in and we've actually got to sort of experience these things that we never fully experienced. And there's a lot of them and there's layers and layers and layers. But the more we get into that, the more we do that, then we start getting in touch with our feelings. We start learning how to process them on our own. And then as we do that, this is what, what starts to reset our nervous system set point. And we can start to rest in a little bit more of that parasympathetic, that little bit more of that well-being. And so this is a lot of the work that, that many of us have the opportunity to do when, we, when we're dealing with chronic diseases. And I'm speaking as one of them. I, I dealt with a lot of chronic issues in my 20s and 30s. And so I'm, I'm, I finally realized that that was a big part of the, the repetitive cycle of chronic symptoms that, that I was experiencing. I, I could make headway and then they'd come back, make headway, come back. And that's great. I learned a lot of techniques and tools and I figured out a lot of these lifestyle things that I needed to do as well. And I realized, oh, there's these emotional aspects too, these sort of traumas, these conditions, these, these bottled up emotions that I was not allowed to feel 
Um, and when I say allowed, I mean that if my perception as a child was that if I felt these emotions, I wasn't going to get loved. I wasn't going to get accepted. I wasn't going to get um, uh, welcomed. And so, again, that's a perception. That's a childlike perception because we don't have a fully developed cognitive system at that point. So we're just going off of feelings. And, and if my parent was upset or, or angry that I was feeling a certain way, then, of course, I want my parents' love. I'm going to learn a strategy to not express that and not make them angry. Right. Now, there's a, a lot that you just said in that last five minutes. So um, we've spoken a lot in our clinic about how different organs can, okay, have cancer in the liver. Can it be from an anger frustration issue? You have cancer in the colon. Can it be because you're bottling up things and you're not forgiving and not letting go? So there's all these possible scenarios. Um, it's a totally different thing to realize that that's a possibility and then be able to deal with that. So where, uh, where would people that have a disease of a certain organ or a disease of a certain issue be able to get some of these solutions that you just started to unpack there? Is that the series that's coming up or do you have a better source for that? Yeah, so we definitely cover a lot of these techniques and tools in Awaken the Healer Within. So this is the thing about a lot of the summits. If any of your, your listeners or viewers have, have seen a lot of these summits, my one complaint about a lot of them that are out there is that they, they talk a lot about theory and a lot about interesting things, but provide little solutions on, on the deeper levels. And that's what I wanted to make sure we did. So we actually provide the, the tools, the strategies, and the, the methods of how to, how to actually start to work with some of these things. And so... And I'll just give you a couple here, just so that your viewers have a little bit of taste of, of, of what to do in this scenario. A lot of us are unsure what's there. You know, um, you kind of mentioned that these things are in the background. We don't really know sometimes. Sometimes we do. Sometimes there's traumas and there's events that, that we can recall that we know are significant in our life. And sometimes we don't know. Most of it, I would say, we don't know. It's like an iceberg. And so the first place to start is to get curious, right? And this is a really important piece, right? If I've, if I've got um, liver cancer, then... That's in the first place I start. I start to get curious. Hmm. Do I have frustrations and angers and and resentments? Is that is that in my? Do I, is that somewhere? And instead of thinking it, it's like feeling it. It's like and you're just searching. You're just just this this very gentle curiosity, right? Childlike. And 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 you can do this in meditation. You can do this in prayer. You can do this in intention setting and in journaling, right? There's a lot of different ways going on a nature walk. I mean, this is a fantastic. This is one of the biggest hacks I can give anybody that's dealing with any chronic disease is the one of the greatest solutions you can do is just go for a walk outside in nature. And, sure. and this is where, and this is like a, this is like a walking meditation. So not only are you getting the natural light and, and the circadian benefits of being outside and, go, and, and, and aligning with the, the rhythms of the day, but you're, you're actually moving, right? And, and this is, this will start the wheels turning and you can start to get curious about some of these things. But, but as you get curious and as these things may be starting to come up, what you start getting familiar with is that the solutions don't come from the mind. The mind is just the, the, the reader, the interpreter. The solutions actually come from within somehow, somewhere, the intuitive aspect of yourself. There's an emergent quality to a lot of this stuff. And, and a lot of people know what I'm talking about. If they've ever been in the shower and had a great idea, if they're whatever, they're, they're doing something and something hits them or something, something just percolates out of nowhere, right? We just kind of pull these things. And that's the state that you want to sort of, 
This, those are the conditions that you want to provide so that this emergent quality can come forth. So as you're sitting in meditation, as you're going on a walk, just getting curious and starting to allow these things to come forward. And then as you start to work with these things or as they start to pop up, then it, it's, it's a feeling. You're starting to get into the body. This is where the answers really lie is in the body. Your body has the wisdom. So you're starting to feel these things and you're starting to uh, allow this feeling, the sensation in the body, whether it's an actual physical sensation in your core, in your heart, in your back, wherever in the body, but you just start to get curious and start to feel and bring awareness to these aspects in the body. As you bring awareness to these things in the body, then they start to move. And, and this is this is kind of the process, and, and I'm sort of shortcutting it here, but but the, we actually go through a lot of the 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 step-by-step -step process of this stuff. And sometimes it's, you need an, uh, you need to be in the presence of another. Sometimes it, it, there's some things in that we hold on to that require another being to actually help us template or use sort of mirror neurons, so to speak, to process. And so this is a very real thing, especially when it comes to somatic methods of healing. And so we have these sort of trauma resolution, um, maps or or methods that we can use you know there's things like family constellation there's somatic therapies of various kinds but you know the deeper ones typically require another person a therapist so to speak but this isn't a talking therapy the best therapies actually just work with the body and there's some like adult attachment repair model that you can actually hold on to a stick with a therapist not say anything and just allow your, your natural awareness, your natural intuitive aspect of, of both people start to ping each other and start to work together and you get this co-regulation and all of a sudden you can start feeling these things happening and these things moving and emotions starting to arise and then you're feeling those and you're allowed to feel those and then you might start crying and then you might start wailing. There's all kinds of things that can unfold but the key is to start dropping into the body with your awareness, to start feeling these things. And this is a practice for many of us. I couldn't feel things in my body for a long, long time. And when I say that, I mean, of course, I could feel if you hit my knee and I could feel my body, but I wasn't truly in touch with the inner aspects, the, the inner parts, the energetic centers in the body. And as I started to feel these things, I go, oh my God, I've lived my whole life and I've never felt my, what they would call Dantian in, in Chinese medicine or, or Qigong. I've never felt my core. How is that possible? So as you get in touch with the deeper aspects of the body, feeling into the body and starting to feel into this warm, fuzzy thing that's happening inside, not really sure what, what it is, you're just bringing awareness to it, feeling it, feeling it, feeling it, gently feeling it. And then things will start to emerge. Things will start to shift. Things will start to happen. And so that's really kind of the key, but the, it, but it's it's a really important key that, that it's happening in the body. It's not in the mind. It's not something you have to do. In fact, the biggest trick is to learn to undo, to learn to not do, to learn to just be and allow. And if you can get into this allow state, this is where the, the magic happens. This is where your body starts to do things that it, it knows how to do. You know, we see spontaneous healings, miracles happen in, in, a, in a variety of places. You know, there's a medicineless uh, hospital in China that just uses Qigong. And this is a practice of developing awareness around the body. And when that happens, energy starts to move. Things start to happen. Things start to come alive. The living force that is within you starts to do its thing, right? We have a lot of examples of this stuff. And so, so that's the key to to working with some of these blocked emotions, stuck emotions, is to get into the body. And, and again, there's a variety of ways to do that. Well, these are all great techniques we give people. 
different neurological techniques to help stimulate parasympathetics or to decrease the mesencephalon, the sympathetic center. Um, but these emotional techniques and getting to the core issues, that's what we're all about. So yeah, it's going to be a great you, series you, for people. You, you remind me, EMDR is another a, a good yeah. tactic as well. That's a really, yeah. really good tool that people may be familiar with that, that is along those same lines. So there's a lot of cool ways to do it, right? I mean, this is the thing. And, and to be honest, what I would tell your, your viewers and listeners is explore all of them. Whatever's coming your way, whatever lands on your doorstep and you start getting curious and go, hmm, what is this weird thing? He mentioned family constellation. I don't know what the heck that is. And then you read about it and you go, that sounds ridiculous and silly and really strange. But then if you try it, you, you, you may stumble across something that opens something up for you. Or right. you try EMDR or your guys' techniques. It's like, for me, I've become such a student and such a a child about these things, right? You actually have me super curious about the, the techniques you use. It's like, oh, maybe I haven't tried that. Let me see what, what what's behind that door, right? Sure. And as you start to do this, instead of taking this really scientific, you know, methodological approach, you just start going, okay, let me try that. Let me try this. Let me try that thing over there. And, and you start doing these things. Rolfing is another really good tool to start working the fascia because the fascia holds a lot of charge, a lot of energy, a lot of emotion. So as you get into these deeper things like rolfing or chiropractic work or some of the massages, you can actually start to loosen some of this stuff that's being held in the body. The body starts to grip and stiffen. We hold things in our joints and our fascia and our tendons and our muscles and our bones. This is These are energy stores for all this type of stuff. And so how do you get it out of the body? That's the big question, right? You start working with a variety of tools to do that. Well, we talk a lot about that. Everything is a frequency and you have to get to that level if you really want to heal. Exactly, exactly. Well, we're going to give links to your 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 current docu-series that you have out there, uh, the, the longevity program. Uh, project, but we're also going to give links to the one that's coming up. Um, and by the time this podcast gets aired, it will be out. So we want everybody to, to dive into this with that, like you say, Jason, that healthy curiosity that just opens up their mind and say, okay, what does God have for me here? How can I learn something else? And like we say, with every disease process, we view that as this huge negative, but it can be viewed as a huge positive learning tool. What do I need to learn about my body through this? Um, what does God try to teach me? Um, that's right. And seeing it in a different light can be very beneficial. Yeah, I think that's that's what you ultimately land upon as you go through any healing process. When you kind of get over this hump or you get to the other side, so to speak, you go, oh my God, thank God that happened. Yeah. Because that's the thing that I needed in order to make these changes. And and so, you know, we humans are silly creatures and, and we, we sometimes need to go through the muck in order yeah. to figure out where's my alignment. And this is really what it's about. It's like, how do I align with my constitution, with my system, right? Because we are all individuated aspects of, of the one, all. Right. So, but I'm unique. I'm very unique to you. So how do I work with my system? Who am I inside? Right. I mean, this is the ultimate question that we continue to come back to anyway. And so all this stuff is just helping us learn about me, my system. What do I need to do in this stage of my life? And then there's the other aspect, which is how do I align with the greater whole? Right. And this is when we talk about circadian rhythms and sleeps, there's universal principles, right? A connection. There's these things that 
that we that that are true no matter who we are right eating organic food is always going to be true uh, better than eating pesticide laden food right. right eating something that is grown in really healthy soil is going, always going to be better than something that is grown in soil that is devoid of of microbes and, and life right so so there's universal aspects we need to chew our food thoroughly right it's a very simple one that we skip over um and we just start okay let me just chow my food and take these enzymes and these probiotics and we think that's going to do it no 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 there's universal truth so how do i align with the greater whole how do i align with myself and when you start doing that then then good things start to unfold yeah well we want to have you back if you'd be willing to and while we're still recording i want you to say yes to that <laughs> totally yeah i'm, I'm totally down I love we'll it. talk about uh, you did touch on circadian rhythm and sleep and that's an important thing for anybody dealing with chronic disease so maybe next time we'll touch on that yeah i'd love to that's a it's a one of my favorite topics and it's something when i'm working with people as a practitioner it's the first thing that we that we really look at is do we have this in in in, in alignment and if it's not then this is where we start right well, again, thank you to my guest, Jason Prawl. We're going to have his information up here so everybody can get to his website and see the tools that he has there. And as we always say, the more tools that you have in your tool bag, the better off you're going to be able to do in building the house that you need to build. So again, thank you, Jason. I appreciate it. Thanks um, for having me. And right. we'll talk again very soon. Yeah, I hope so. All right.